we have been working through this uh, series. If you've been with us, we've been walking through the Bible. This is our last week in the Old Testament. Uh, before we, next week, we're going to talk about 400 years of silence. Uh, we're actually just going to sit here and say nothing for the whole sermon. It's going to be great. And then the New Testament will be there in two weeks. So if you can uh, remember with us, if you haven't been with us, we've been walking through the story of the Bible, and we've got some motions to help us remember uh, these key events in the story. Uh, Two weeks ago, we looked at the exile, and then last week we saw the people returned, and they're happy. They're celebrating. So let's see if we can remember from the top. You ready with me? We've got creation. Did that last week. Try it again. God, creation, fall, promise, flood, tower, patriarchs, exodus, law, conquest, judges, Kingdom, divided, exile, return. Lois is in my head. I'm all thrown off. We're going we're gonna to figure this out. All right. So as we get into this this morning, have you ever had to tell somebody some news that they didn't want to hear? That you had to be the bearer of, of some bad news? Particularly, have you ever had to tell a loved one something that you saw in them that if you didn't say this, they were heading towards some real heartache, some real destruction in their lives? I remember when I was in uh, high school, my senior year, I had this girlfriend and my mom was warning me about said girlfriend, and, and she saw some unhealthy dynamics in our relationship, um, and she tried to tell us some things that I just did not want to hear. And you know what that brought out of me was some rebellion. Baby, she don't know us, right? <laughs> it's us against the world, girl. Like they could, it, um, our love is like an ocean. It's a strong tower, right? And we just tried to, and then of course, six months later, we were broke up and it turned out my mom was right, right? She saw things exactly like they were and it wasn't, but, but here's the deal. I didn't want to hear it because the news was saying I'm wrong and something needs to change. And we don't want to hear that kind of message. Today we're going to talk about some people who had to relay messages that people did not want to hear. Bearers of bad news in the Old Testament, they called them prophets. And we're going to learn from the prophets today. One of the cool things, one of the things we learn about God in the prophets, we've actually seen this throughout the story, is that God communicates with us. And I want us to sit on that for just a moment, because it, it seems like an obvious thing, especially if we've grown up in the church. We know God has communicated with us. But, but imagine a world in which God had never communicated with man. Imagine a world, I mean, the purpose statement for our series has been to know God as he's revealed himself to us in his story. That's why we're doing this study. And I want to underline the word revealed there and, and, and show here the amazing fact to highlight that God, he revealed, he showed himself to us and he didn't have to do that. And he's revealed himself through us in a couple of ways. He's revealed himself in Scripture. We know Romans 1, that he showed his eternal power, his, his divine nature in what we see. He's made himself clearly known in, in physical creation, but he also gave us his word where he shared these wonderful things about himself with us and who we are and, and how we can have a relationship with him. And I was thinking about this in terms of our own parents. I mean, why did your parents have you? Sorry, that sounded like, that sounded negative. Uh... The hope is, 
that they created us, that they made us to have a relationship with us, right? I mean, imagine if, if day one, your parents uh, just left you in the crib with a pacifier and like a job application and was just like, good luck, right? Just go and figure it out. And your parents never communicated with you. They didn't teach you how to say dada. Didn't teach you how to walk, how to ride a bike, how to love and be loved. Awkwardly try to explain the birds and the bees, right? They were never there at graduation taking pictures and embarrassingly waving at you. Didn't walk you down the aisle. They'd never communicated, never had a relationship. Now, I know that touches up against a sore spot. For some of us, that's been our experience with our heavenly or with our earthly parents. But the good news is this is not our God. God did not just form Adam out of the dust, rip a rib out, call her Eve, and say, good luck, figure it out. In our entire story, as we've been walking through this, we've seen God communicating with his people. Clear back in the Garden of Eden, he's walking with them in the garden. Can you imagine God giving them this tour of his creation, right? And that, yeah, they're over there, that's the platypus. I know, right? LOL, cry face emoji, right? And as he walks with them, he, 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 then he tells them that what to do and not do, what, what to eat and not eat, right? And then when they disobey, he tells them that they've disobeyed, and, and he tells them, makes this promise right out of the gates. He communicates with man that he's going to send a deliverer to make right what they've made wrong. And then we continue through the story. He talks, he communicates with Noah, tells him exactly how to build this ark in order to save mankind, the patriarchs. He talks with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and he tells them about these wonderful promises he's going to give to them, this land and these blessings he's going to pile upon them. And then he comes to Moses, he speaks to him out of this burning bush, and he tells them what you're going to tell Pharaoh in order to set my people free. And then those people who we saw become the people of Israel, he communicates with them through the law. He tells them exactly what he wants from them to be a holy people and how to live. And then he tells them exactly what's going to happen if they obey and what's going to happen if they disobey. God has never stopped communicating with man. We have not been left just to guess. I mean, imagine trying to navigate life without the Scripture without ever having any idea what God is like, what he's required of us, how we have a relationship with him, how we have life and freedom. Praise God that he communicated himself with us. Now, one of the primary ways that God spoke to Israel was through these messengers called the prophets, okay? Now, out of the 39 books in the Old Testament, 17 of them were what we call prophets, uh, the books of the prophets, meaning they were either written about a prophet or by a prophet, and they kind of break down into two categories. There's the five major prophets and the 12 minor prophets. Now, the only difference there is length. Okay, we're not talking like varsity JV. Like, sorry, Nahum, you had a bad season. You're not going to make it to the bigs this year. It's not quality. It's just length, right? It's just this looks longer, right? Um, and so with these, the, the pr- prophecy isn't just in the books of the prophets. In fact, one out of every four verses in the Bible would be considered what we would call prophecy. This is a kind of a little pie chart of the different genres or literary styles in the Bible. This one has prophecy at about 20%, could be as much as 25%, um, meaning that a big chunk of our Bible is prophecy. It means we need to understand what in the world's going on here. 
And as we, as we break this down, prophecy can be confusing, right? I mean, you ever walked through Isaiah or Malachi or Haggai, try to figure out what in the world is, I mean, some of the most confusing parts of Scripture are, are prophecy. And there's a, a couple of things that I think can help us as we try to understand these, these kind of crazy books as we navigate. One is that these books were not primarily written to us. We in America, 2017, were not the audience. They were mostly written to Israel and Judah. Remember the two kingdoms that had divided also some of the nations around them? And so the first thing we need to do as we study them is just simply say, who wrote it? Who are they writing to? And what was the context? What was going on? It's going to be an immense help as we try to figure out what is being said. And and, uh, some simple tools, there's commentaries, and honestly, just Google it. I mean, just, just say, what's the background of Isaiah? And, and, and as you read some of the background information, it can help make sense of what's actually being said. The other problem is that uh, they're, they're highly poetic. This is not straightforward like story. This happened, that happened, then this happened. Prophecy's all over the place, man. It's switching who's talking. It's using imagery and a lot of analogy and allegory. And so it's a lot, just the language is a lot more poetic and therefore a lot different to try to unpack. And so this morning, I want to just simply try to help make prophecy a little bit more clearer, ask, answering, try to address three questions. What is a prophet? What was the purpose of a prophet? And then finally, and most importantly, what did God want to communicate through the prophet's that we could learn from today. So first one, what is a prophet? We often simply think of a prophet as like a fortune teller, right? Looking into the crystal ball, telling us who's going to win the NBA finals next year so we can make a bunch of money in Vegas, right? Uh, don't, I'm not promoting gambling. Uh, and, and, and even though there are times when prophecy is speaking to future events, it's set, certainly not limited to that. And in fact, often the prophecy was about what's going on right now not what's going on in the future. And so the word, we look at the word itself, Hebrew, the Hebrew word for prophet is navi, navi. It's pronounced with a V, even though it's spelled with a B in in our language. Um, And and the word simply means this. It means one who speaks for another, a spokesman. So you think of it this way. Um, Think of of an ambassador. What's the job of an ambassador? Well, they represent. They represent. So when, when this guy meets, this, this guy here, he, he, is, he is speaking for the United States to a guy who's speaking for the country of Japan. He is not the United States. He's speaking for us. And that's what an ambassador does. That's what a prophet was doing, was speaking for someone else. Usually the context is somebody speaking for God, but it's not limited to that. Aaron Remember when Moses is being a big baby and he doesn't want to do the job God's called him to do? He says, well, then I'm going to give you Aaron. And Aaron is going to be, and the word he uses in Exodus is your Navi. He's going to be your spokesman. Aaron's going to speak for you. Or in Kings, when those false prophets of Baal, again, that word there is Navi. They are pretending to speak for this God. But most of the time, and how we're primarily using it today, is someone speaking on behalf of God. I like the way this guy, Abraham Heschel, which is a strong Hebrew name, he said it like this. To try to summarize, the prophets were special ambassadors, there's the word, whom God called, and I love this part, to hear his voice, feel his heart, and then communicate this message to the people of their day. The prophets were messengers who stood in the gap as a go-between connecting God and his people. So this was much deeper than just sharing information. 
He says, these people, I mean, imagine these prophets communing with God, hearing his voice, and then feeling his heart. They were, they were speaking for God, not just sharing information, but sharing his emotion, sharing the very heart of God with his people. And just to clarify, these prophets were not telling the people what they thought about God and how they felt about God or how the people should feel about God. They were actually speaking what God told them to say. You probably know the scripture, Second Peter, says, above all, you must realize, you've got to understand this, that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. This was not their idea, and this was not their own thought or initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. So God shared his heart and his mind with them, and then they relayed that to the people. So a prophet's a spokesman for God, but what were their specific jobs? Let's look at them. There's there's three of them that I want to point out this morning. They were there to accuse, there to warn, and there to give hope. You kind of break down the three, and this is a broad, it's not as simple and clear-cut as that, certainly. But there, there are three main jobs. The three things you see in the Old Testament is accusation, warning, and the giving of hope to the people. And as we read, you ask yourself, which one of these is going on here? Which one of these is going on? So let's look at them. First one's accusation. Now remember, Israel has entered into this covenant relationship with God, where God has said, if you obey my law, I'll bless you. But if you disobey my law, I will curse you. And in fact, if you disobey it long enough, I'll drive you out of the land. And remember, we saw two weeks ago, he did that. He exiled both Israel and Judah. And, and so the job, they've basically, they've entered into this marriage relationship, Israel and God, this covenant relationship. And, and a guy named Tim Mackey, his main phrase for um, these prophets were covenant watchdogs. And what they would do is they're basically there to, to, to come alongside Israel and point out to accuse them of when they violated the terms of the covenant with God. I mean, look at Jeremiah 3. Therefore, this is God speaking, go and give this message to Israel. This is what the Lord says. So they're going to speak for God. Jeremiah is going to be the spokesman, the ambassador for God. And this is what he's supposed to say to the people. You have been unfaithful to me. You people of Israel, you have been like a faithless wife who leaves her husband. I, the Lord, have spoken. So this would be like having a little man on your shoulder pointing out every time you violate the covenant relationship you've made with your spouse and to point out the unfaithfulness the times of violating, um, and I, I thought about this as a sports guy. I was thinking of a referee, right? Like, isn't that's the job of a referee? A point out when an infraction has occurred. Tweet traveling. Tweet out of bounds. Tweet double dribble. Right? Technical foul. And in the same way, these prophets are saying, "Tweet, you've worshipped another god other than the one true God." Tweet. You've murdered. Tweet, you've committed adultery. And they're there to accuse Israel when they violated the terms of their love covenant with Yahweh. And on one hand, this would be a pretty cool job, right? Hearing directly from God. Visions, dreams. Hearing directly from the source. But on the other hand, this job would be terrible, right? I mean, can you imagine? Like, I love sports. I love basketball. I love playing it. I loved coaching, I love announcing, but I have never in a million years wanted to be a referee. 
Why? Because no one ever likes you. Your own mama doesn't like you, right? You're, I mean, it's just, it's awful. Like, even you make a call, and no matter which call you make, one of the teams is ticked off with you, right? I know. I used to yell at refs for six years. That was my job as a coach, right? I was in the contract. Um, nobody wants a referee. No one liked the prophets because they were pointing out all the things that Israel was doing wrong. In fact, many of the prophets were killed. They were despised by the people of God. Because no one likes being pointed out when they're wrong. Second thing they did is they gave warning. Look at Hosea. I sent my prophets to warn you with many visions and parables. Jeremiah 6, listen to this warning, Jerusalem, or I will turn from you in disgust. Listen, or I will turn you into a heap of ruins, a land where no one lives. And we know that came true. They were exiled from their land. So the prophets are not just there to accuse when they're wrong, to Israel when they're wrong, but also to warn if you continue to do what's wrong, if you continue to spurn your God, to be unfaithful from your God, this is what's going to happen. And eventually he will drive you out of the very land in which you live. And of course we saw that that's what happened. And not only that, but God went to great lengths to warn his people, not just through the words of the prophets, but through some bizarre object lessons. If you read the prophets, these things are insane. He had um, Ezekiel, lie on his left side for 390 days to represent each year that the people of Israel were unfaithful to God. And then just when he thought he was up, like, if you imagine the cramps, and he goes, nope, flip over. Other side, right side for 40 years, one for each of the years that Judah's been unfaithful to me. And then Hosea, he comes to Hosea and he tells him, I want you to marry a prostitute. And, and he says, I want to sh- show you what it's like to picture an unfaithful spouse, just like Israel's been unfaithful to me. And then he has two little, sweet little babies. And he says, here's what I want you to name them. Not loved and not my people. Can you imagine naming your kids not loved and not my people? Come here, not loved, right? Finish your vegetables, not my people, right? Good luck in junior high. And then he has Isaiah walk around naked for three years, not pictured, um, (laughs) to show the way that these people would be ravaged, would be led into slavery if they didn't heed the warning, if they disobeyed. He had Jeremiah walk around with an ox yoke around his neck to symbolize the way that Judah would fall into slavery to Babylon if they didn't listen. He warned him over and over, and at the heart of it was God using any measure he could to get the attention of the people to say, you're hurtling off a cliff toward destruction. They were warning him out of love, but of course we know the people of Israel did not heed the warning. But the third thing is that they were there to give hope. Now, we've read the story. We know what happens. Israel and Judah, both kingdoms, they they fail to heed the warning of the prophets. They continue to disobey until the point where they're led into exile, driven out of the land. But God, in his grace and his mercy, he brings a remnant of people, a remnant of Judah, back to the land because he's faithful to his promises. And they begin to rebuild in Ezra and Nehemiah. And you remember the story, we talked about it last week, that that Ezra leads the people through this emotional response to come back to God. They read the law. They see how they've fallen short. And then this is the response of the people. 
They make this audacious promise to God. Look at Nehemiah 10. Then the rest of the people joined their leaders and bound themselves with an oath. They swore a curse on themselves if they failed to obey the law of God as issued by his servant Moses. They solemnly promised to carefully follow all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord. 613 laws. And they come to him and say, this time it's going to be different. This time we're going to obey. We've tasted exile. Imagine 70 years of exile, watching your fellow countrymen slaughtered and, and put into slavery, their eyes gouged out, skinned alive, all the torture and abuse and slavery that they've, they've faced. And they say, this time that we're back in the land, we're not going to go there again. We're going to obey you this time. It'll be different this time, God. But you know the story as well as I do. The problem is they are the same sinful people with the same sinful hearts, the same inability to obey even one of these laws. And the words of the famous Yankee Yogi Berra, it's deja vu all over again. Over and over. And here's the reason I know this so well, because that's my story too. I remember we used to go to youth conference in the summer. And we'd have these awesome speakers and this, this music. It was just amazing. All these kids are worshiping. And you'd have the one speaker who'd like make this altar call. And who here wants to give their life to Jesus? This time you're really going to mean it. And you're going to, you know, this and that. And it's raw, raw. And I'd make this emotional decision. I'd come down the aisle and, and that's it. I'm never listening to non-Christian music again. And I'm breaking my Alanis Morissette CDs, you know. And I'm doing all this thing for God. And I'm never going to watch pornography again. I'm never going to do this again. God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to read my Bible 21 hours a day. I would just make all these claims of now I mean it. This time it's going to be different. I give myself to you. And what happened? It's deja vu all over again. And this is literally the, defi- this is the definition of insanity. To do the same thing over and over, summer after summer, expecting different results. Because here's the problem. It's not my outward actions that need to change. It's me. It's my heart. And as long as it's my same sinful heart making those same sinful vows, it's going to be the same result. Failure. We talked about, you know, the fact that I've I've lost weight and that's, that's helped my hips. But at the end of the day, I have bad hips. And all the gluten-free, diet water, organic, this and that, like nothing is going to change the fact that I have bad hips and ultimately, you know what I need? I need new hips. I need some titanium in my body. And one, t- one day, on the other side of glory, God's going to give me some new hips so that I can be square dancing with him for all of eternity. God probably doesn't listen to country music here, right? Uh, he, so the fact is, it's not that I need my hips to be repaired. I need new hips. If you look at an apple tree and you say, I don't want apples from that anymore. I need oranges from it. You don't paint the apples orange. You don't staple oranges to the tree. You need a new tree. You need new roots if you want different fruit. Israel didn't need more commitment, more sincerity. They needed a heart transplant. And that's exactly the hope the prophets offered. And this is so cool. You got to underline this. Jeremiah 31. It's a new covenant that God's going to make with his people. New meaning, not old. A different thing. And look at what happens here. He says, the day is coming. 
when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This is huge. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors. This is not the law of Moses. This is not obey and be blessed, disobey and be cursed. When I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt, they broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife. He says the old covenant, it will never work. Why? Because sinful hearts can't keep a holy law. Never could do it. So he says, here's what I'm going to do. This new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, I will put my instructions deep within them. And I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And I'll forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. He says, I'm going to do something new. Instead of making them obey my law, I'm actually going to put the law on their hearts. There's going to be forgiveness here. There's going to be something new here. Ezekiel, he says it a little bit more clearly. He says, then I will sprinkle water on you and you will be clean. There's a way in which we can be made whole, cleansed. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and I'll give you a tender, responsive heart. I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Do you hear the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant? The old covenant says, obey my commands and you'll be blessed. You disobey them and you'll be cursed. The new covenant says, I'm going to give you a new heart that is obedient itself. You can't obey me, so I'm going to give you a heart that, that has obeyed me. I'm taking door number two. So how does God do this? Where does the hope of a new heart come from? Well, this is the, this is the person that we've been following this thread through the entire story. This is the coming deliverer. And we know some things already about him. Back in Genesis 3, it's going to come from the seed of a woman. Remember, the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the, of the serpent. Going to deliver you from sin and death. That's all we knew at that point. Then it gets more clear as we go on. He says, this is going to be from Abraham, from the line of Israel. This person is going to bless all nations. And then it gets more clear. It's going to be a king coming from the line of Judah, specifically from the line of David. It's going to be a king that reigns forever and ever. And as we peel back the layers, what we're going to see is the Old Testament is dripping with Jesus. Over 300 prophecies talking about this coming deliverer. Maybe 400, depending on how you count. And these amazing things start coming out about who he is. Now we have to understand that Israel is expecting a literal king who's going to set up a literal kingdom and offer real protection from their enemies. Look at what Isaiah says. This is incredible. It says, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. He's speaking to the people when they're in exile, when it couldn't get any darker. He says, This is not all that there is. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. He says, There's hope. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. You will enlarge, he's speaking about this coming one. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. Can you imagine hearing this when you're in slavery in another nation? They said, this is what we want. This is what we've been waiting for, freedom. And he goes on, for a child is born to us. This coming one, a son is is given to us, a seed of the woman. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, 
This king is going to be God. It's a God king, everlasting father, prince of peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all of eternity. You know, one day Jesus is coming back and he will set up a literal kingdom where he will literally rule and reign on this earth and you and I get to rule and reign with him? Are you kidding me? But you say, well, what does that have to do with the new heart thing? Jesus is on the throne, but I still got that stony, stubborn heart. Isaiah doesn't just explain him as a God king. He also explains him as a suffering servant. And for the most beautiful words of prophecy you'll ever read are the, what they call the servant songs in Isaiah. And you see them there. I think they're in your, your notes. And just want to pull out one verse in Isaiah 53. Look at what he says about this king. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. You see, Israel was unable to keep that first covenant. They were unable to keep the law. You and I are completely unable to do anything acceptable in God's sight. We are all like sheep who have gone astray. But the good news is this God King, he would come and he would die in the place of Israel, in our place. He would heal them through his own suffering. He took their sins. They got his perfection. And you know what? He gave them, and not just them, but remember he said, I'm going to bless all nations through you, including us today. Here's the good news. Here's the new covenant. And Paul speaks about it in Corinthians. This means that anyone, anyone, who belongs to Christ, has become a new person. This old life is gone. A new life has begun. God says, if you'll put your faith in Jesus, I'm actually going to make you a new creation. It's the second covenant. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new life. And you know whose life he gives us? The very life of that God king. Look at Galatians. My old self has been crucified with Christ. He took that old, rebellious, disobedient, stony, stubborn heart and he nailed it to the cross. And he says, it is no longer I who live. It's not that old heart. It's not that old self. But Christ lives in me. I know. I, I, so I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not me promising I'm going to follow your law this time. That this time I'll do it, God. This time it'll be different. And it's not us having to, like Israel, sacrifice animals every single time we sin. It's the King, the Lamb of God, who came to do once and for all what those animals could never do. To forgive us to reconcile us and to give us a heart and a life that is acceptable before God, none less than Jesus' heart and life itself. So that's the prophets. God's spokesmen, spokesmen, they were sent to accuse, to warn, and to give hope, to point people toward that coming deliverer, the God King. Let's pray. Father, you are so good just like Israel, after all the times you've warned us, after all the times that, that you've shown us our sinfulness 
in and of ourselves, we have a complete inability to do what you've called us to do, to live like you've called us to live. We're sinful, and we acknowledge that. And Father, the only way to come to you is with a clean heart, with the, with the right spirit. And God, we could, never, we could never paint the apples on the tree and pretend like we're good enough. So thank you for giving us Jesus, who gave us his heart, who gave us his life, who became sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become perfect in your sight. God, may we heed the message. May we not neglect the warning. Because if we don't come to Jesus, there's an eternity separated from him waiting for us. And God, not only that, but that we would speak that message of hope to our loved ones. You've called us, Paul called us to be ambassadors, to go and speak your truth of Jesus to this world, to show this dark world that there's a light coming. Jesus is coming back, and he's going to be the king. And Father, that we would speak boldly to our neighbors, to those who we work with, to our family, our loved ones. You've given us this ministry of reconciliation, like the prophets, to speak your truth to this world. That The bread on our tongues would lead a trail of crumbs to lead the hungry back to the place that you are from. May Jesus be all that we need, that he would satisfy us, and that we would speak the good news of Jesus to those in this world. It's in his beautiful name that we pray. Amen.